0: The reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, which can be found on page 1194 of the Pew Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, As the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would speak to us all. And particularly as we start this series better together, may you help us to just commit ourselves not just to you, but to each other and to the service of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we start the commitment series, and I want to ask a very simple question. Uh, as we think about being better together. What does it mean to be a member of a local church? What does it mean to be a member of God's church? And at one level, this whole series is going to be reflecting on that very simple question. And I want us to start thinking about that by going back a couple of hundred years and reflecting on some words that were spoken by one of the great philosophers of uh, really uh, many, many years... René Descartes now he's most famous for his statement i think therefore i am and René Descartes was working thinking in the 17th century and it was an era where traditionally the church and god was central in terms of understanding how the world operated and philosophers grappled with those questions if I can say with those foundational rocks in place that god is central And yet, Descartes struggled with his doubts. And he came to this point of, in his reflections, thinking, well, if I doubt, that must mean that I'm thinking. And if I'm thinking, that must mean that I'm existing. And it's a strange logic at one level, but from that position, he posited, I think, therefore I am. And on that basis, he found a sense of security And a foundation for his knowledge. Now that mightn't seem a seismic shift philosophically but it was because what he did was he shifted certainty about knowledge and life away from God and the church to the individual and it began what over the next couple of hundred years has been uh, and given birth to the rise of what you would call individualism where the individual is now central, in terms of reality. Now, I don't know if you know, but René Descartes reappeared in Sydney a couple of hundred, uh, not hundred years ago, a couple of years ago, and he was hungry. And he thought he might try some food for lunch. And he'd heard about this great American chain called McDonald's. And so he went there for lunch, and he ordered a Big Mac. And the waitress was very polite, he did look a little bit odd in his clothes, but said, would you like some fries with that? And he replied, I don't think so, and he disappeared. (laughs) You're not that quick this morning, are you? I'll let you think about that. It was a joke, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Why start here with René Descartes? I think, therefore I am. What happens at universities over time tends to work itself out in society. It doesn't happen immediately, it doesn't happen in the next 10 years, it does happen though over decades and centuries. And what Descartes gave rise to, the centrality of the individual, absolutely is the flavour of our culture today. If you go back 30 years, not 300 years, to an American writer and researcher from Berkeley, California, his name is Robert Bella. And he wrote a book called Habits of the Heart, along with some of his fellow academics. And what he was doing in that book was critiquing American individualism. And he coined a term some 34 years ago, which I think sums up where we are today. As he researched the individualism in America and the way that would impact societal structures. And his name for the culture was, we have a culture of expressive individualism. And expressive individualism is the belief that at the centre of our world is our self, our intuitions, our feelings, and with that, the inherent right to pursue and express them, free from the constraints or judgments of others. Now, this is 30-odd years ago, and you think today about what is the catch-cry, I can do whatever I want so long as I'm not hurting someone. And that is the air that we breathe. Don't tell me how I should feel or act. I'll express myself the way I want to in this world that I live in. And I love how Scott, uh, in the introduction to the small group studies, I do encourage you to be a part of them. If you're not in a group, uh, let me add weight to what Scott has said. Join one or find a couple of friends that you can join and read the studies together. At the introduction, it says this, these days we're more about self-esteem and self-actualization than about self-sacrifice. Independence and individualism is in the air we breathe in our modern culture. We carry around in our pockets iPhones, not WePhones. phones. We sense that our communities are less connected and more fractured than they've ever been in the past. Yet many of us do not even know our neighbours, the people who live only metres from us. And it's so true, isn't it? And so in this year's Commitment Series, we're revisiting and revisioning our understanding of what is our common life together, what does it actually mean to be a member of a church? And it's fascinating how individualism takes over our experience of church because... So often it's about, how am I experiencing our life together, rather than what is our common life together? If you've got your Bibles there, I want you to open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And what we're going to be doing through this series is, at a higher level, looking at Ephesians. And looking at what it has to say on this particular question of church. And it's a great book uh, letter to go into because it's rich in terms of its theology and thinking about our corporate life together. And I want to start off, uh, this message really is about what is the church? As we think about this question of what does it mean to be a member of it? It's probably simplistic to ask the question, is it the building? Um, Of course, we call this place the church uh, and you've got the halls. Well, of course, no, the church is not the building. Uh, Is it the denomination? Synod's running at the moment. It's kind of our parliament for the Anglican churches in Sydney. Uh, The simple answer is no. Though each denomination is made up of groups of churches, Sydney Anglicans are the same. Uh, The church is not the denomination. It's the churches who actually fellowship together and who work together under an agreed leadership and belief structure. That's who we are as Sydney Anglicans. Yet when we come to this letter to the Ephesians, it gives us a more helpful way of thinking about us. Uh, The church is described here through Ephesians uh, in a number of different ways. We are God's holy people, we are the body of Christ, and we are the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Interesting how the Trinity comes up in so many different places. And I want to just go through those three terms and get us to think about what that means for our corporate life together. Firstly, what is the church? God's holy people. The Apostle Paul uses numbers of metaphors to describe the church. And the first is here in chapter 1, verse 1. Have a look with me. If you've got your Bibles there, it's page 1173. And verse 1 I've got on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he's telling us who he is, what authority he has. He's an apostle, he's a sent one. Uh, It's by the will of God. And who's he writing to? It's to God's Holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The first way we're described here as the church is that we are a holy people. And that phrase reappears later on in the chapter at verse 18 in chapter one. and it's at the end or it's at the sorry, it's in the middle of a prayer that Paul is praying for the church. He says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened." in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Sorry, just jumping ahead. Now, one of the key things to note is, you won't completely pick this up from reading the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, But when he writes, uh, and I think when we read our Bibles, we think he's writing to me. Now, we're products of, if I could say, the printing press being invented, Uh, the mass production of literature, and I suspect if I went to your homes, uh, you wouldn't just have one Bible, you would have numbers of Bibles. And one of the things we say to people is, we want you to read the Bible and hear God speak to you. Now, you don't need to tell me how many Bibles you've got at home, but all of us will have one, I suspect. And if you haven't got one, we would love to get one into your hands. Now, one of the impacts of that is, I think when we read Scripture... We read it like this, what is it saying to me? Now, let me say, I want want you to read Scripture and ask what is it saying to you. But that's not how it was written. It was written to a group of people. It was written to a church. And there is no language in here at all to an individual. All of the language is actually corporate. So just have a look with me. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 4. He says, We are chosen, chapter 1, verse 5. We are adopted, chapter 1, verse 7. We are redeemed and forgiven, chapter 1, verse 23. We are filled. You get to chapter 2, and he talks about what has happened to us. And what he's saying is, We are to be God's holy people. And the word holiness means we are set apart. That's who we are. And if you want to understand the church, it is a group of people who have been called out of the world to reflect the very character of God in the world. His holy people, His faithful people. It flies against the backdrop of expressive individualism, where I'll do what I want. Where I'll say what I want, I will go and experience what I want. You see, we are called to actually reflect not our own desires and intuitions, but to reflect the one who has called us and saved us. And to honour and glorify Him. And I'm going to speak more about that next week, particularly as we think about our calling to be a holy people in the world and the mission of God and the preaching of the Gospel. But that's the first thing to note. We are God's holy people. But secondly, we're the body of Christ. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. At the end of this prayer, God placed all things under his feet, and he's speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And so the Lord Jesus is over us. And then he adds, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything In every way, we are not just a holy people, we are the body of Christ. Now, if I can make this comment the concept that you could be a Christian and not be a part of a church fellowship is absurd when you read the New Testament. It's absurd to think it, let alone to practice it. Yet in our modern day world, there are many people who, and I talk to people like this, they'll say, look I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, and they genuinely believe that Christ is risen, that Christ has died on the cross for them. But their concept of attachment to a body of believers is shaky at best, often non-existent. They just float around. Different fellowships, they'll do what they please. And I want to say, that concept, if you spoke to the Apostle Paul, he would say, it's absurd. How could you think that? Have a look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. That was our Bible reading today. When you read it, the corporate language is just dripping here. Uh, Verse 4, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you, plural, have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And he goes on and on. You see, we are in Christ together. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. And what he says there is, um, therefore, in other words, having been wonderfully saved by Christ... And lifted up into the heavenly realms he says therefore you've been brought near you. he says "You used to be separate used to be far away used to be cut off but what Christ has done is not just bring you to himself he's brought you together with his people and you're now part of his body have a look at verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you see, the blood of Christ breaks down the barriers between us and God. We have our sins forgiven, but it also breaks down the barriers between us and each other. We are in Christ as brothers and sisters. And I love how it finishes, Uh, verse 19. Consequently, in other words, because of what Christ has done, You are no longer a foreigner and a stranger, but you are a fellow citizen with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Solo Christians just do not exist in Scripture. To be a Christian means you belong to Christ and you belong to his body. You're a member of his church. And I just want us to stop and think about that reality and why we've been made that way. I know the church at times through history has not carried out its mission well. And the CPX team have put an excellent uh, movie together, which I know many have seen, uh, for better or worse, about the story of the church. And there is some dark pages there. But when church is doing what it should be doing and when church is well it is a wonderful place to be and as a person comes to christ they are drawn into a body of fellowship of people who together we grow with and our christian life and growth is always in this context you actually cannot mature as a christian without fellowship with other christian people it's just not possible and I was thinking about it personally from my point of view and my own experience of being, members, of being a member of churches. And I've had two significant churches I've been members of, uh, membership with one my past church, 15 years, this church at Matthews for 10 years. And I was thinking about the different ways that being together has encouraged me and helped me. I thought about when I fellowship with people who don't have a lot of money... possessions and we have numbers of them here at St. Matthew's who really uh, live very close to the line, some in poverty, some on the margins of society that we have and yet as you get to know them you see they are filled with a trust in God in all the circumstances of the life that they're in, they have a joy in the Lord And it touches my heart and it encourages me and reminds me to trust in God when my circumstances are tough and not to complain. I find fellowship with people like that deeply encouraging. When I fellowship with people who are struggling with sin and yet there's an openness and a repentance and a desire to walk in holiness. Well, as I spend time with them... I'm deeply challenged myself as to how I'm living. And am I repentant and open and wanting to walk in holiness? When I fellowship with people who are able and gifted, and we have many people like that. But when I'm fellowshipping with people who are like that and they're using their gifts and their abilities to help those who are struggling and in need, and they make sacrifices to not serve themselves but to serve others and to go the extra mile, it challenges me to do the same. When I fellowship with people who are suffering with disabilities and long-term illness and we have numbers of people like that in the congregation and as you sit with them and pray with them and you see that even in the midst of their pain, they do not complain and they trust God. And it challenges me not to complain as I go through tough times and trials. And it reminds me to give thanks for all the blessings that I experience. When I fellowship with people who are from other cultures that are not Western and are rich in their experience of God, and we have numbers of people like that in the congregations, it reminds me that as a Western Christian, I don't have a mortgage on the gospel. And that the church is far bigger than what I can ever imagine. And it tells me to walk humbly before our Lord. When I fellowship with people who are rich, but yet also generous in giving to the gospel and to the needs of others, it challenges me to be rich in generosity and to give to the needs of others. I love being with young kids there's a simplicity of their faith that is just so contagious and powerful. As you see, their simple trust in God and it encourages me to have a faith like the Lord Jesus said, that is simple. I love being with the youth of our church. There is a passion there that often we don't have in our older age. And you see the fire burn brightly as they want to go and reach the world for Christ. it encourages me. As you sit with the elderly of our congregation, and I remember profoundly sitting with some who were ready to go and be with the Lord in their very latter years and the assurance and the confidence they had in Christ and it's an enormous encouragement and the wisdom that our elderly share now why do I tell you this I would have none of these experiences none of this encouragement None of this help, none of this challenge, none of this rebuke, none of this joy if I wasn't together with people. You see, we are better together. And it's the nature of how God has designed His people, His holy people, the body of Christ. We absolutely need each other. And we actually can't do it without each other. It's just... Not possible. You cannot grow as a Christian in the ordinary circumstances of life without the fellowship, the encouragement, the challenge, the rebuke, the warmth, the care, the love that comes from being in close connection with other Christian brothers and sisters. And friends, during this series, uh, we would love to hear people's stories of how God is at work in your life and if you've got something that you'd like to share about how God has been at work we want to make space in the service to allow people to share and please do let us know you can put on the care card that um, you'd like to let us know or let one of the staff members know but as the Australian researcher Hugh Mackay wrote in his recent book The Art of Belonging he's written a number of very insightful books about Australian culture Uh, He's a Christian man who goes to a church down in Tasmania. He said this, The good life is not lived in isolation or in the pursuit of independent goals. A good life is lived at the heart of a thriving community. And against the backdrop of our culture of expressive individualism, it's a word we absolutely need to hear. We do best when we are better together. Lastly, the church is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I want to finish just briefly on this note. When you get to the end of chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And in Him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And one of the things that demarcates out the church community from every other community, if I can say in our community here in Manly, and in Australia, it's a supernatural community. Uh, we're not just an earthly organization, though we do organize and do all those kind of things. We're a supernatural reality. And while it's interesting that there is a strong call to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, with the Holy Spirit, um, I think we often interpret that individually, but the call is actually corporately. That we together would experience God filling us That's how it reads. And Emily read at the very start of the service, for those who are here for the 10 o'clock service, um, does start at 10 o'clock and we're better together if we all get here at 10. Be filled with the Spirit as you sing to each other. And it's an injunction corporately to all of us. And you see, the church is the place where God dwells by His Spirit. And so we sense Him at work in our lives. Penny Barry's back in hospital, I encourage you to keep praying for her. Uh, She's having a double knee operation which is awful and she's had some complications but you may well remember how encouraged we were when we heard of the way she'd been healed. And you see that's the reality of the church, we actually have God at the centre of this fellowship. He dwells amongst us. Our Heavenly Father, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus by... His Spirit, And you see, the experience of knowing God is thus always connected to being in Christian community that's founded in the gospel and experienced by the Holy Spirit. And you've got this beautiful verse at the end of chapter 3, it says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I gave up my uh, secular career because I believe in the local church. And I believe it is at the center of what God is doing in the world to bring the gospel to those in need. And friends, we have this incredible privilege to grow his church through the preaching of the gospel, and we do it together. And as Paul says, to him be glory in the church throughout all generations. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you're someone who belongs to God's holy people. It means you're a member of the body of Christ. It means you experience God together as His Spirit dwells with us. And in an age of expressive individualism, where the temptation will be for Christians to critique church about what it does for them, to rate the preacher and to rate the worship leader and the band and the music, To just pick and choose what you come to according to what suits you. Because that is the spirit of the age that has infected us. What the Bible presents is a vision of actually us doing life together where we're committed to each other. Where we don't just attend, but we belong. Where we don't just sing, but we participate. Where we don't just receive, but we give. Where we serve, where we self-sacrifice for each other and for the sake of the gospel. To grow his church and to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Let me pray. I want to encourage us to stop and just reflect on that very simple question. Are you a member of the church or you just attend and come along? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we do thank you that you've placed us in this place at this time as people who know you and the Lord Jesus. And you've called us to serve you in this world together as your people. Father, we thank you for the individuals that make up this place, the personalities, the gifts that are all so important. But yet, Lord, help us to realize we are better together, that we need each other. Help us to commit to serving and worshipping and giving and witnessing for your sake together. Father, through this series, I pray that you would bind us together powerfully as your people here in Manly. With a vision of how we together can better and more effectively reach this town and this city for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.